and live from Syracuse. This is Syracuse Football Post Game, presented by Krause Health, the exclusive healthcare provider of Syracuse Athletics. Brent Axe, Emily Liker, and we're doing it live after Syracuse takes down Army today at the JMA Wireless Dome. 29 to 16 is the final. So uh, for those of you that are maybe watching or listening in the future, uh, nothing has changed for you. Still a podcast for you, our post game after every uh, Syracuse football game. But we said, hey, why the heck not? Let's let's try it live this week. Uh, for those that remember our, our live post games after football and basketball the past couple of seasons, we said let's open it back up and, and hear from the people a little bit today. But uh, first we hear from Emily, and uh, how do you feel now that the show is live? Do you feel different? Do you feel special? How do you feel? <laughs> no, you know, I'm excited. I hope uh, hope people come on and join us. It seems like we've been getting some some good comments from listeners after the fact. So we were kind of just like, hey, why don't we open it up to, to live comments, especially with a, a noon game like, this is the earliest we've been home from a game this season so far. For sure. So yeah. it's great to be home by 6.30. We're going to let William lead the way here. A win is a win, but they must play better to be Clemson next week. I think that's a good setup for next week, Emily. Clemson, uh, I feel so bad for that kicker. Loses to Florida State today, 31-24. Heck of a game there, but uh, Clemson had an opportunity there at the end. Goes to overtime, and they lose. As for this Army game... It was truly a tale of two halves, and Emily, I think we can burn the first one and just never speak of it again. It was ugly. It was a grind. And according to Dino Babers and some of the players we talked about, uh, talked to after the game, they kind of expected this from Army, right? We heard all week about Army. They run the football, but they actually kind of expected how this would play out. And how it played out, of course, is Army runs all over Syracuse. Syracuse only has the ball for 17 plays in the first half. Army dominates time of possession. Then the second half comes, and Syracuse just flips the script. They actually bounce them back into negative yards, and their offense completely shuts down short of one touchdown pass they got at the end, and the Syracuse offense got itself going here. So uh, second half, much better than the first uh, today for Syracuse, Emily. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you're right. What we heard post game was, oh, this is what we were expecting. Like we knew they were going to come out and run the ball and, and run down the clock and stuff like that. But n- nine minutes is a lot to run off the clock on your opening possession. And Dina was like, oh, well, I've seen 12 minutes. I've seen 14. But nine is, I don't think we spent enough time lingering on the fact that like it was a nine minute drive. And they had another nine minute drive later in the game too, later in that first half. Um my thing is, yes, it's expected, but also I think this game would have gone a lot differently if SU had managed to keep its own opening drive alive longer than three plays to start the game. Like there is a starting problem for, for Syracuse almost on both sides of the ball. Um, I, I think the, the defense tends to get it cleaned up faster. We see defensive adjustments pretty much immediately between drives, but it just feels like every time Syracuse comes out here and starts a game, it's like they're kicking their engine and it's not turning over immediately because this is just something we've seen. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not scoring on the opening drive because certainly they've scored on opening drives so far this season. But I always just feel like the team we are watching on those first drives, that first defensive stand and that first offensive drive looks so much different than the team that comes in and does the second drive and the rest of the game. And so I don't know 
what that is with them, if that's just a mental thing or, or what it is, but to the point of Syracuse is going to have to play better next week against Clemson, which we can talk more about Clemson later and how I don't think they'll need to play that much better maybe, but um, they, they certainly need to come out the gate quicker in these games because getting in a seven zero hole against FSU against UNC, it's going to be a lot more difficult to get out of than a seven zero hole against army. By the way, Syracuse is 4-0, so this is their first non-conference 4-0 start, basically ever. They didn't do it since they joined the Big East in 1991. It's also their first back-to-back season starting 4-0 since the 1959 and 60 seasons, uh, appropriate in that Ben Schwartzwalder was added to the Ring of Honor at the JMA Wireless Dome in a halftime ceremony today, and he was the coach the last time that had happened in Syracuse. So, Emily, you know, I've seen a couple of comments already from people saying they made the adjustments necessary here. And I think, not to sound like a coach, but I think when we go back and watch the film, we'll spot those adjustments. But Dino Baber said in his post-game press conference that they changed one thing at halftime. He didn't specify what that was. I talked to Caleb Okachuku. I talked to Justin Barron. And I asked Marlo Wax at the presser, what adjustment did you make? And they all kind of said the same thing. They just got physical with army they just locked in with army they just kind of had like a come to jesus moment at halftime and said look this is all this team can do so we just got to lock in and do it now i saw you know maybe more four or five guys at the line pushing up a little bit more there were definitely some football adjustments made but if you ask the players they just kind of said not we just kind of snuffed them out they can't throw the ball and eventually we figured it out and shut them down but Emily, we're talking about 129 rushing yards in the first half versus negative four in the second mm-hmm. half. That is a huge adjustment for that defense. I mean, it's from what you saw, is that all? They just kind of flexed and, and figured out what Army was doing? Yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things. And, like, it, it's always easier to see on, on film than it is is in the game, I think. Now, people watching, just watching on the TV might be like, oh, no, I was able to see. But, like, we have to do a lot of stuff during the game. So, like, I don't, always have, yeah. I don't always have the foresight to be looking at the minutia of, like, what exactly the defense was doing differently. But certainly, like, to the, to the overall point of Rocky Long being very strong in adjustments, that is not in doubt at all. It never was, but, like, they're right. Like, they have proven that every single game that Rocky Long knows how to make adjustments. Last week with Purdue, it was it was also one change at halftime. They added one new thing for the linebackers and really just shut things down there um, in, in the second half. So, again, like, it's great that they can adjust. And, obviously, like, when you game plan, you're game planning with older footage and like teams are going to show you new things, but like, it'd be great if they had those adjustments from the start of the game too. Right. Like in that it didn't take until halftime to regroup and and change those things. And Dino said at the press conference, you don't want to over scheme a game. You don't want to put too much on the players' minds, which is by the way, something I completely agree with. I do think there are things a coach has to, basically make it simple for his players. Like think back to last week when the players told us that Rocky just basically made up a play at halftime. He can do that, Emily, because he's got Caleb Okachuku and Marlo Wax and Justin Barron and veterans that can process that quickly. So it depends on what kind of team you have and what kind of adjustments you can make. But there are certain things that coaches have to do. Like, for example, 
it didn't turn out to be a big deal in the grand scheme of things. But in the first half, when Syracuse was really struggling offensively and looked like they were starting to pick up some momentum, Damian Alford catches the ball inbounds with Syracuse driving. Dino doesn't use a timeout. Like, it's those little things that I think are going to add up against better teams, and we'll start to see next week against Clemson. But you know what? Second half comes. Syracuse actually started offensively with another sputter. They had a fourth and one and couldn't convert. And you're like, oh, boy, what's, what's going on here, right? Then the floodgates open. And the big thing, Emily, was Aronde Gatson's down. And we talked about this a lot on the pod. We've written about it a bunch. So who kind of steps into that number one receiver role? Damian Alford's the natural choice, and he was that guy today. He had a career-high 136 yards, nine touchdowns. The first scoring drive that Syracuse put together, he had two huge catches. I think it was 31 and 19 yards. LaQuinn Allen caps it. Allen ends up over 100 yards rushing on the day. Schrader looked like Schrader. He had one run that actually set up a field goal where it was our daily, or I shouldn't say daily, our weekly, how the heck did Garrett Schrader do that play where he just kind of like looped out of like four tackles and had he not stumbled, probably would have got the first down and that drive could keep going. So it's like you said, Emily, it's great that they can make these adjustments against one-dimensional teams or, or weaker teams, if you will. But, man, that offense just could not find itself in the first half. They were barely on the field, but even when they were, they had a couple three and outs and you know, things you got to flag to look at against better defenses. And you got – I know Clemson's 2-2 two and two and not the mighty Clemson we know them to be, but that is a really, really good defensive line, and the margin for error just – goes down significantly against a team like that. Yeah. You know, I asked Garrett, like what he felt went wrong on that very first drive of the game, which was a three and out. Um, and obviously we already talked about how important the start's going to be and how important the start's going to be next week. Um, and it was interesting because he said he put, he put a lot of that on himself and that was because he's, he said something to the effect of like, he had like pre pre like meditated or like predetermined how he thought, those plays were going to go. And it was a little unclear if he meant like he had predetermined them in the sense that like, Oh, SU came out cocky and they felt like they were going to win. Or right. if he had like predetermined it from the, the like stance of he, he thought he knew which receivers he was going to go to and then like, wasn't able to get to them. So didn't follow up on that one. We'll see if it's still relevant enough Tuesday to, to ask him about then. But that was interesting to me. Yeah, you know, I overall, like, watching this offense in the first half, I was like, this offense does not look anything like it has the past three weeks, and they finally hit their stride there. I think I think it was, like, just under the eight-minute mark in the third quarter when LaQuint Allen punched in that 13-yard touchdown, and you're kind of like, okay, things are looking okay here. But that that whole stretch from that last second drive at the end of the first quarter where Garrett throws the interception – through that first drive of the third quarter, like that is a stretch of game that in any other game this season, like looking forward, you are going to need to win, especially if you plan to do things that way, which Dino was like, we don't defer the ball often, but we wanted to have the ball coming out of the second coming out of halftime so that we could get more points on the board and like extend like a lead or make up for a gap. But instead they had two, it's like the whole concept of like, you got to win those two, the eight minutes on each side of halftime. And SU didn't, somehow they still won the game, but that is definitely something to monitor as well. And I, I don't think the the not calling a timeout 
really mattered. I also asked Dino about that. I was like, why didn't you call that there? And he's like, well, it was a dead clock at 15 seconds. We would have only gotten two plays off either way if we had called a timeout or not. Um, he didn't want to give the Army defense a chance to regroup and didn't really need the chance to regroup anyway because of what happened. So, like, it all ended up kind of being a, a, a mute point in the end. But, yeah, that, that stretch of the game was was interesting. It really was. LaQuint Allen, I mean, we got to circle back to this guy. I think, like, quietly he's having this this great year that maybe we're not shining enough of a spotlight on. He just piles up numbers. He wasn't as active in the pass game today, but did have one big uh, uh, catch in this game. He really found, speaking of adjustments, he found some holes in the second half that just were not there in the first half. So Jason Beck definitely shifted some things around. And again, I think like the defense figured out, we know what they're doing and we could be at just as physical with them as they are with us. I think Jason Beck kind of realized that we're more athletic than this team. We can get over the top on this team and started to get that offense in a rhythm. Speaking of which though, Emily, as the injuries continue to pile up for this team, Isaiah Jones uh, the latest player gone from the offense for an undisclosed period of time. And we're, we're, you know, we thought he was gone. We thought he was injured. It, we asked Dino about it after the game. and <laughs> Dino was trying to play coy on that this week when we, we kind of knew he was hurt, mm-hmm. but now he's out for an undisclosed period of time. And man, you just got to f- feel horrible for that kid. Cause he was on a great track last year, got hurt. I thought he was on a great track this year and now he's out for an undisclosed period of time. So now you're down two receivers, uh, and this team's got to got to figure out who who steps into his role. And I, I think the depth is there for that. I like Donovan Brown, and I like what some of these other receivers can do. But to be down Gatson and Jones going into Clemson, and this not it's not just Clemson kids; it's Clemson, Carolina, and Florida State that are the next three games with two of those on the road. Uh, we're already start to see the depth on the offensive side of the ball, in particular, get tested here now. Kalen Ellis was out as well. Joe House was back, and so was Trevor Pena out there today. So yin and yang, I guess. You lose some, you gain some back. Yeah, you know, the Isaiah Jones situation is interesting because, I mean, Dino flat out said on on Monday, he was asked, uh, the question specifically that Dino was asked on Monday about Isaiah Jones, I believe it it was Mike Ostrowski that asked it, um, was, Isaiah Jones sat out much of the second half of the Purdue game. Was that due to injury? And Dino said, no, it was not injury related. And everyone who saw that happen, like saw what happened to Jones in that play knew that it was injury related, like knew it was something like that. So then we're all kind of sitting around all week being like, okay, well, is he like, is it, was it just like a game ending injury or was it like a week to week thing? And so I saw him come out and do like their preliminary warmups. And he was just in sneakers at that point, which like, isn't too uncommon. Usually guys are in their cleats, but like that initial warm up period, it's kind of like a free for all and people can do whatever they want. Um, and then obviously he came back out once everyone had suited up um, and, and was not, suited up and so I turned to the spokesperson and I was like uh so Jones is injured right and he was like yeah and then Dino obviously had his comment post game about him being out for an, an undisclosed um amount of time I the phrase I think he said was uh something like oh god what was it something like a while which is not really specific at all so 
which is typical for Dino and coaches yeah. and how they dodge these things. That's what Trevor Pena was, you know? Yeah, and, it was, and it, Trevor it was, Pena. And he was bad. We thought we, he was not on the depth chart again this week. If you had, like, asked me what the odds were that he was going to play, I would have probably said low because that was the other thing Dino said on Monday was he had a comment like, if Pena comes back and everyone was like, if Pena comes back, like that doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah, that and was then he ominous. was out there suited up. So, so look, like, I'll give Dino credit. Yeah, He's good at this game. He's good at this cloak and dagger injury game. You kind of have to figure it out. Now I, I probably, if I could put a bet on it, would say Jones didn't play because I asked to talk to him on Tuesday at player availabilities and he wasn't available. That's not 100% mm-hmm. that players won't play, but it's usually a pretty good indication that, you know, they're in some kind of injury protocol and, and maybe won't be out there. So another injury for the offense. Defense, for the most part, for what we know, is healthy. All the big names are out there. And, look, they made that adjustment against Army and shut them down. And, and now you start to peek over the horizon at Clemson. You know, this was a, a grinder of a game against Army. And they got through it, and they got the dub, and they're 4-0 and all these things. But, man, things really start to shift now. We mentioned the gauntlet that's coming up here. You really dive into ACC play against what some people consider the three best teams in the league, and maybe it's not playing out that way. Clemson gave Florida State all they could handle today, went to overtime and lost. Florida State has had trouble with some teams, Boston College in particular, and, of course, we saw what happened today against Clemson. And then you're playing one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Drake May at North Carolina. So, Emily, I think we're going to start to answer a lot of simple questions about Syracuse football in the next three weeks. Namely, shout-out Sicko's committee. Is Syracuse good? We are definitely going to find out the answer to that question in the next three weeks because the competition can't get any better than that. Yeah, so the conversation I had with with Chris Carlson as, as we were walking out of the Dome just, just a little bit ago actually was – I, I think where I stand with the Clemson matchup next week is that if, if SU wins, if they come out with the win, they are a definitively good team. They are not a great team just because they beat Clemson because Clemson has not done anything to convince me that like a win over them isn't necessarily an upset. Like their two wins are against teams they should have beat. Yes, they played close against Florida State today, but it's on their home turf. I believe Jordan Travis might have been injured. Um, I was looking at some tweets that were like alluding that he might have been a little shaken up still from something that happened in the Boston College game last week. They still made some kind of ghastly errors. Like there was a scoop and score um, that came off a Cade Klubnik fumble. So like this is not the Clemson powerhouse team of years past where it's like, if you beat Clemson, you're like top of the ACC. So like if Syracuse comes out with a win, they are definitively good. They will remain in kind of like, I think that that top group of ACC years. But then I I think with UNC and then Florida state, it's how they play against them determines, okay, well, is this a team that could make, could punch its way up to like the top three of the ACC? Um, Is this a team that deserves to be ranked that type of thing? Um, the Clemson game has just lost a little bit of its allure for me. Unless like Syracuse can come out and like really blow them out, then I might be inclined to feel a little differently. Um, as of right now, I, I figure it will be a still a pretty decently close game. Well, you just brought up an interesting point, and you are an AP voter. Yeah. <laughs> Nine out of ten times you beat Clemson and go five and zero, oh, you're going to be ranked. But will the other voters out there? Let's say Syracuse wins. 
and Clemson's two and three. That doesn't hold as much water as it normally would if you had beaten Clemson in previous years when Clemson is is their normal selves, if you will, right? You put Syracuse into the rankings in that case, like we said, you have Florida State and North Carolina after that. So that might be enough for some people to say they should be ranked. But nationally, I don't know if they'll get the votes because they're barely in the votes now. Like the way this thing works is you get in the others receiving votes category and you kind of work your way up and you need people at the back end of the poll to lose so you can Mm -hmm. vault your way in. So normally I would say nine out of ten times you beat Clemson in that scenario, you're going to be ranked. They'll be much closer to being ranked. And I still think they'll gain some legitimacy because there's still something that holds weight when you beat Clemson. But like you said, Emily, they're not their normal selves this year. And look, Syracuse always gives Clemson trouble. You go back to 2017 when they beat them, 2018 when they were a fourth down play away from beating them the next year. Last year, we all saw what happened. You know, we all remember the sideline play. It'll get talked about a lot this week. That Syracuse had him in the fourth quarter and let it slip away in a bad call, I think contributed to that loss. It's not the only reason they lost, certainly, but that just took so much air out of the balloon in that game. So regardless of records and all these things, it's not, you can't say it's like a rivalry per se, but it feels like the main element of a rivalry and that you do throw out the records here. Syracuse has confidence against this team, and I'm not talking about Derek Dungy led Syracuse football team. I'm about last year's Syracuse football team with a lot of those players back that I don't think fear is a strong word, but I don't even think they respect Clemson as much as they used to, Emily. And I'm, I, that's a compliment to Syracuse. Like, I feel like they can legitimately throughout the week say they're in this game, they can win this game, and like pretty much here's what happens. A lot of cliches come to life. And are true. I feel like as they talk this week and believing they can beat Clemson, they're in a position to say that. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing we talked about kind of as we were sitting, sitting in the dome post game was like, it's hard to read how Clemson will come into this game emotionally. Right. Because it's basically one of two things. They either come into this game fired up about having just lost in overtime to FSU in a game they should have won on a field goal in regulation, or they come into this game downtrodden, completely lost as a team that is 0-2 in conference and 2-2 and overall, and just allow themselves to get steamrolled. And like, we just don't know how Clemson is going to come into this game. And, and I think we aren't really going to know until the game starts and things get underway. Like it's, it's just going to kind of be like looming over this week. I think like keeping track of what Clemson players are saying, keeping track of what Dabo's saying and like 8 million times he talks a week. Like it's going to be very interesting to read where they are at emotionally. Um, and yeah, I think too, where, where SU players are at emotionally because they are already looking ahead to that game at the, at the end. I don't know how much of, that was spurred by by people directly asking questions about Clemson or whether uh, that was just already in their head leaving the field. But I, I that's the first time this year that that's happened where the upcoming opponent has come up in the postgame presser. I like what Brian said. I highlighted his comment a second ago. It sounds like you're saying if Syracuse can be consistently good, to quote somebody, they can beat Clemson. A few mm-hmm. other notes, Emily. Um, Justin Barron had quite a game 
He had an interception in the second half that pretty much sealed that Syracuse was going to take this thing. But I'm burying the lead here. There was a play that Justin Barron had where he tackled, uh, I forget his name off the top of my head, it was number three for Army, and he kind of twisted his ankle around. If you go back and and you see a replay of it, I think Justin went a little too far on this one. I did ask him about it afterwards. He said he, he felt bad. He's going to pray for the player, but he did also say, like, that's football. That's what can happen, the emotions of the game. I think it bordered on a dirty play, unfortunately. I think the emotions got the best of him there. So if you go watch the video of it, you'll see he kind of tackled him, wrapped him around the ankle, and he kind of twisted around with him on the ground a little bit afterwards. He probably should have let go you know, a good three or four seconds before he did. And, you know, that player couldn't even put any pressure on his ankle. So that was an unfortunate situation there. Chris Carlson did ask Army about it in in their post-game session. They didn't seem to think it was dirty. They didn't have any issues or any beef with it. I mean, maybe once they see the replays, they'll be a little more fired up about it. But uh, we should note that. Uh, Another thing we should note, uh, as Chris wrote too, Andre Miller was a player for Army who was down for several minutes. Unfortunately, he had a helmet-to-helmet collision with one of his teammates. Uh, The trainers were out there for several minutes. Both teams came out as he was wheeled off. That was a nice scene at the Dome as both teams came out as he was wheeled off. Uh, From what we understand, he is talking and he does have feeling in his extremities, which are good signs. And we'll see if he continues to be observed here in Syracuse overnight or if I don't believe, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I just play one on a podcast, but I, I would imagine they'll, they'll want to observe him here overnight before they send him home with Army. But we'll see how that goes. But uh, that, that kind of took the breath out of the Dome for a while. And Emily, uh, we had a lot of people fired up, not only in the Dome, but on tw- on Twitter about substitutions, right? So. <laughs> There were four or five times where the boos were raining down at the dome because the refs were holding up play to allow Army to substitute. How does this work? Like, as best as we can understand, were the refs bending the rules? Were they enforcing the rules? Is there some gray area here? Like, what was going on with that? So this is another one of those things where, like, I'm doing so much during a game that it like took me a while and the tweets of people like coming up on my timeline to like actually start paying attention between plays to seeing what was happening there because usually it's like, okay, the ball's dead. I'm going to write for five seconds and like look back up when the, when the play is over, you know, I don't know. I did like a very brief search into NCAA substitution rules, right. As we were kind of preparing to get on here. And I, I, I think it's a little unclear. That's the type of question that gets saved for like a Monday Dino presser as opposed to to post-game. Um, certainly if if Dino had been upset about uh, upset enough about it, he would have brought it up on his own at some for point sure. post-game. Yeah. And he didn't do that. So we might toss him a question on Monday. Ultimately, I don't think it had as much of an impact on the game as people would like to say it It was. It's just one of those things fans get upset about. (laughs) Yeah. I was still seeing like SU's defense certainly was rotating players through. Like I was noticing like second stringers getting thrown in there and, and mixed with people throughout the game. Again, at the defensive line, which is something we've been seeing and something I think that's key to this year and and success of the defensive line down down the stretch that they really didn't have much success with last year um so it's been good to see them 
rotating those guys through. But yeah, it was something that you guys can be upset about, but I don't know that actually it had that, that much bearing on the Reps game. Reps are easy targets. And in yeah. that case, it, it was frustrating, but from what I could see and what I understand, they were enforcing the rules as they're allowed. You have to allow an equal substitution if the offense substitutes and, but yeah, I could see why some fans were a little riled up about that too. I'm sure the conspiracy theories were flowing. The refs got army. By the way, my condolences to you if you had uh, Syracuse minus 13 and a half. <laughs> I think. Well, you and Chris That's did brutal. it in our points, but I, I definitely, I definitely did have Syracuse covering the spread. This guy so. covered, so I'll be okay <laughs> there. Uh, I wonder if that's going to make bad beats on uh, Sports Center, Scott uh, Van Pelt Sports Center, because Syracuse had that covered until Army snuck in that touchdown there. 80-yard, 80-yard passing play by Army. Yeah, which was like 80% of their passing offense for the day as well. All right, Emily, well, this was fun. I think uh, we will return to the live format next week, and perhaps uh, as the season goes, we'll we'll see how the schedule plays out, and I would love to do more of these live, but it was was great to see some of the regulars back in here. A shout-out to to Dale and and my guy Mike from El Paso and Brian and Rob, my boy Rob, and a lot of people, if I'm not saying your name, forgive me, but uh, it was great to see you guys back. So same deal next week. It's a noon kick. So we will do a live post game show probably around the same time, about six o'clock or so Eastern time. But you can always find it on Spotify, on Apple, on YouTube, on Amazon. Make sure you subscribe to all those places so you get not only the post game podcast, but Syracuse Sports, my new podcast, which comes out Tuesdays and Thursdays as well. We want to thank our friends at Krause Health, the exclusive healthcare provider of SU Athletics for sponsoring our post-game podcast. And we thank you for hanging out with us here as the Orange Takedown Army 29-16. They're 4-0. But with Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina around the corner, we're going to see the real Syracuse stand up pretty soon.